Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is your culinary culture and lifestyle show where we celebrate food and wine, health, travel, and all things delicious. Cocktails, too. It's a place for people who love to cook or love to eat. I like to say whether you're one or both, we can definitely be friends. But if you have passion, well, then sit down at the table and please join me for delicious conversation. I'll keep you updated on the food scene every week. We'll take deep explorations of a broad range of culinary topics. And you should set your culinary sights higher and just stay tuned because you just might learn something. Inspired recipes worthy of a summer celebration, dressing your table, giving you a reason to overeat. These are the things that motivate my life. And I'm grateful that you're here and that you're listening. I'm celebrating 20 years on the radio And there's nothing that I love more than to dish about food. I am always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And if you happen to have missed a show, you can find my podcasts under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen on Apple Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, and more. And I do hope you'll follow me on social at Chef Jamie Gwen, Instagram, Facebook, X, whatever it is, you name it, I'm there. And with that said, let's dig in, shall we? Okay, prepare yourself because I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts, one that will make you a culinary hero. And I am about to make a very strong case for the fact that you should be grilling your cocktails. You heard me right. Don't swerve your car or drop your laptop or you know, laugh crazily because I do believe you should be grilling your cocktails. I mean, it is high barbecue season right now, isn't it? And before you cook dinner over an open flame, I say throw some fresh produce on the fire and lend your drinks that extra dose of smoky summer flavor. It is so good. Wait till you try it. Now, there are a few things more American than grilling, of course, and as it happens, there are a few inventions more American, or if I might personally contribute and say ingenious, than the cocktail. So, it is only fitting that we, as headstrong, curious food lovers of this great country, marry the two together. So, when you juice or muddle as the base of a drink... You use your favorite fruit or think about fruit-infused sangria, right? I mean, it's quintessential summer cocktail, really. You've gone to the farmer's market or you've bought the best in produce from your grocer and you're looking for ways to use it up, right? Well, layer in that rich, smoky, summery flavor of the grill, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming, but rather scented. And you get a cocktail reminiscent of an early evening campfire. Now, how does one grill a cocktail, you ask? Well, uh, situate anything and everything that isn't booze right on the grill. And by that, I mean sweet pineapple, 
could be oranges or grapefruits, could be a serrano chili, uh, could be thick slices of your favorite stone fruit, peaches, apricots, plums, you name it. And then keep these tips in mind while you're grilling. When you are grilling fruits specifically, or you could grill your veggies for a cucumber gin and tonic, I guess. I got to try that one. Uh, You want to make sure though, when you are grilling for a cocktail, that the grill is super hot because the fruit doesn't really spend long on the grill. So you want a charcoal grill that is lightly layered and not flaming. You don't want char. You just want good heat. If you're using a gas grill, I recommend about medium heat or so, and you're going to check your ingredients every 30 seconds. Uh, They need distinct grill marks, but they shouldn't be ashy. Now, um, I like to use my long tongs. Once in a while, I'll put on a heavy-duty grill glove to pick up the ingredients just because they happen to be trickier ingredients than like a big, fabulous hunk of steak or a lovely piece of fish that you can simply turn with a spatula. And then... I like to not only muddle the fruit into a drink, but sometimes I'll infuse it into the alcohol itself or um, into a simple syrup for a more subtle flavor. Like I have a grilled peach simple syrup going right now. Now, I've also been known when I cut a Melissa's pineapple... And there's excess of that as well. A great big pineapple gives you lots of fruit, of course. When there's those last stragglers on the cutting board, I have been known to throw them into a mason jar and pour vodka over them. It's one of my favorite things to do. And it applies for grilled fruit as well. So a grilled pineapple infused vodka. If you're making that, call me. I'll come over. Um, You can also smoke your fruit uh, and or veggies for a cocktail. Whether you have a smoking box on your grill or you want to take a disposable aluminum pie pan and poke holes in it, put some soaked wood chips in it and then throw it on the grill, close the lid while your grill is heating up, you will create good smoke and you can add some extra smokiness to that grill. And then this is what I literally just, what, last weekend made for a crowd that was a huge hit. This is my go-to grilled cocktail. It's a grilled greyhound, and I call it a pitcher cocktail because it satisfies the whole crowd. It's the smokiness on the grapefruit that is out of this world. So I sugar my grapefruits. I take a grapefruit, cut it in half, limes too, by the way, and I dip the cut side in sugar because I like the caramelization. And then I put them cut side down on the grill and I grill the fruit until, or the citrus there, that is, until it is caramelized about two to three minutes. And then I turn them over so that they are rind side down and I cook them another two minutes just to soften the fruit. Then I squeeze all the juice from those grapefruits and limes into a pitcher I stir in vodka or gin. You can add some agave if you'd like it sweeter. And then I set the pitcher out just like that with a big, beautiful chest of ice and bottles of club soda or your favorite bubble. And then everyone makes their own drink. And I too get to enjoy the party. Fill your tall glass with ice. 
add that infused liquor with that beautiful grapefruit lime juice and top it off with a splash of club soda. And it it really is so good. I hope that grilled cocktails grace your table. And I hope that you are grilling and chilling this season. Allow me to mention to you, please, that I am very proud and very delighted that my second ebook or digital cookbook has just released and it made the top 10 new releases on Amazon this past week. And that warms my heart because that means that you are grilling with reckless abandon. I am a girl at the grill. I love to grill everything. And I believe that you can be a grilling guru. You should have a few signature recipes that always wow a crowd, whether it's a balsamic marinated ribeye steak or my cedar plank salmon with soy maple glaze or a grilled peach cobbler. You can be a master griller in no time. You just have to download my new book. And it's available at an introductory price of $5.99. And it's on Amazon. It's called Sizzle and Smoke. It's actually Sizzle and the plus sign and Smoke. And if you put in Jamie Gwen, it will come right up. And I thank you in advance for your support. And I hope you love it. All right. With that said, let's continue this party, shall we? You know who's here? A gentleman sitting down to dish that I am immensely admiring of. He is a brilliant writer. He is a fabulous foodie and he is so dedicated to his craft. His fifth cookbook just released and it is all about the craft of butchery. It's about butcher shops, but think more than just meat. He is Matt Moore, and he is here, and I am delighted. Also, before the end of the hour, we're going to dish on the summer season's best produce so that you know what to grill for your cocktails. So stay tuned. There's lots of fabulous food all throughout this hour in your radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen. Grab a snack. Come on back. Guaranteeing that every day is delicious. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I am beyond excited that this extraordinary talent is once again gracing my show. You see, Matt Moore is a food writer and a Southern gentleman. He's also a best-selling author and a barbecue guru. And his fifth cookbook was much anticipated and has been received with extraordinary acclaim. It is stellar, and you must add it to your collection. Matt writes with tremendous passion. He always seems to find the amazing backstory in every topic that he pours his heart into. And his current bestseller is all about butchers, but not just the butcher with the meat case, the fishmonger, the Cantonese duck storefront, and more. 
The book is entitled Butcher on the Block. It's everyday recipes, stories, and inspirations from your local butcher and beyond. And it is an editor's pick and rated best cookbook on Amazon in the category of food and wine right now. And it is well-deserved. It is all about the incredible work of craftspeople, right? The wealth of knowledge that they share, the true passion for their trade. And as I mentioned, Matt is a best-selling author. You know Serial Griller and South's Best Butts, right? And there are more stories here than you can imagine because Matt is so connected to that heart of food. The stories run deep. And I am delighted that Matt is back to talk about meat and poultry and trimmings and more. Uh, welcome, my friend, and thank you for once again gracing this show. Thanks so much for having me back. It's great to be here. Of course. All right. Let's start at the beginning, please, because I've read the book cover to cover. It's sitting on my coffee table, but I promise I'll take it to the kitchen. Your history runs very deep in butchery, fascinatingly so, as does your wife's. So tell us more. Amazing. Yeah, for me, this is a book that allowed me the opportunity to kind of combine the worlds of a barbecue and grilling, but start at the beginning, um, and also to tell my own family story. My great-great-grandfather um, immigrated to this country from Beirut and Lebanon and uh, eventually made his way to Valdosta, Georgia, um, and that was a tradition that survived in our family, um, including my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran and uh, ran the family store in, in Valdosta, Georgia. So it's a chance for me to re-explore my roots, um, have a whole lot of fun with the recipes that you can just show up to the butcher and say, hey, what's good today? But also expand upon the footprint that it's not just meat and game. It involves the worlds of seafood and vegetables as well. And I think that your connection makes the the relationships, the introductions and so on that you made for Butcher on the Block that much sweeter and deeper. So tell us about your cross-country and beyond journey to dig deep into these butcher shops and more and, and how they really nurture their communities. That's what I first felt from your book is the connection. That's why you're so good. (laughs) No, that's why you're so good because (laughs) it came through on the pages in print. Well, thank you. I mean, this really is a book that it's about community. Um, You may not be crazy like I am and and go to your local butcher and, and grocery store two to three times a day, uh, but you do probably visit (laughs) on a weekly basis. (laughs) And, you know, these are folks that you're able to walk in and and foster friendship and foster expertise and and also community. And, and, you know, similar to the worlds of of my last book, Serial Griller, which focused on live fire grilling, you know, almost every cuisine has some application of grilling. Mm -hmm. Well, some of every cuisine has some application of butchering. And so we're so blessed here in this wonderful country that and we travel from Chinatown in San Francisco, and, and it's the oldest Cantonese-style barbecue shop um, in Chinatown, oh, let's, Enterprise, Alabama. Let's start there. Wait, wait, wait. I want to talk about yeah. the... Are they brothers, the Chung they boys? They are. Okay. Eric and Simon are brothers. Their father um, had started Hinglong Company, and you know now they're, they're making it their own. Yeah, and okay, we'll get to Brooklyn in a minute, and then we'll go back to Indiana. But tell me about the ducks. Oh. You know... It starts in the beginning with 
their whole roasted hog. And it's, okay. it's kind of translated as a, a Sioux yoke is what they refer to it. Yes. And a lot of shops put these out. Um, they're actually one of the, the last ones, and you'll see the longest line um, on a weekday or a weekend where you've got, you know, patrons and, and grandmothers and hipsters and everybody kind of lining up to get a portion of this of this pig. And, you know, when I wrote The South's Best Butts, we traveled the entire barbecue belt. We talked about low and slow. We talked about whole hog and it happened in 20 hours. And, and these guys are taking a, you know, about a 100-pound hog dressed. They're taking the vast majority of the bones out, and then they're hanging it vertically and cooking it very, very, very hot and very, very fast. That is about 90 minutes. Oh, they my are gosh. what traditionally takes 18 to 20 hours. Right. So you end up with the crispy skin. You end up with this juicy meat, but it's also super tender and it's flavored. It's got its own aromatics. Wow. And they chop it on this, you know, huge butcher block with <sighs> a big cleaver. And people come in and they salivate and they do this twice a day. And it's hard work. In the interim period, you've got the, the ducks that they're, you know, flash frying in their walks. Yes. Um, they've got uh, orders to go for folks that are working in the city. Um, <laughs> they call it good ducking noodles and all sorts of really fun <laughs> things that are related uh, to the food. So they're not just a butcher shop, but they're also sort of part takeout restaurant too. And I think that's a trend that throughout my travels, you start to see folks that are specializing in the call brand cuts, the alternative cuts, the specialties that, that kind of make them unique, mm-hmm. but they're also you know serving some great food as well. Isn't that a testament to the fact that to build a business in the U.S. especially today, you have to do so much, right? You have to have a breadth of offerings. You must um, hone your skills in multiple facets of whatever it is, the, the category of specialty that, you know, you, that you share and sell and otherwise. And it's really to see the the commitment in your book of all of these people to bettering their business, being a contributor in the community, feeding the people around them. It's extraordinary to me. And there's a lot of love in this book that I really felt. We need to take a quick break. Please don't go anywhere because I could talk with you all day. His fifth bestseller just released, and I know you want more. More with Matt Moore, of course, right after this. The book is called Butcher on the Block, and you don't want to miss it. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask Matt about his cooking brother. But if you ask his daughter, she'll tell you they look alike, right? They're brothers, but really, uh, they're not at all related. You've got to hear the story. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, Butcher on the Block author, Matt Moore, right after this.
We're back and we're dishing with the uber-talented Matt Moore, the author of Butcher on the Block, his fifth cookbook just released. You've seen it everywhere, getting lots of acclaim. Uh, Number one rated on Amazon and well-deserved. And we're talking about beautiful butchers, whether it's the storefront or the butcher at the grocery store or the corner deli. Uh, There are butchers in every form and Matt has highlighted them in beautiful prose with glorious recipes. Okay, Matt, your daughter says he's your cooking brother. And I want to say like, Hey, brother, right? Like when you walk in and say, hey, brother, how you doing? And I think it's a testament to the fact that grocery stores have elevated. I love, 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 love that you have a personal relationship with Tommy at Kroger in Nashville, Tennessee. I really do. I think it's fabulous. You know, for us, I, I think we've become creatures of the convenience. And yes. I've got a lot of places that I can source great artisanal ingredients and and dry-aged and uh, organic, but sometimes I, I just have to make a run to the grocery store to pick <laughs> right. up the kids' watch stuff. And, um, you know, Tommy Kelly has become a, a dear friend of mine. And, um, you know, when my kids were younger, um, they used to say, there's your brother. And, and <laughs> when I joked around, because I'm, uh, I already mentioned, you know, I come from Lebanese descendants, and uh, Tommy is a, a, probably a former linebacker, African-American, and we, we just laughed. We're not, we're not brothers. No. Know, but, uh, my my daughter Vivian said, "No, no, you guys are cooking brothers." That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just the friendship that we've been able to strike. And huh. uh, I did make him get down in a three point stance just to prove that he could still do it. <laughs> um, but you know, I think that's what it's about. You know, we want to make sure that we're you know, covering this this vast array of where people can can source. And as much as I support those local artisanal shops, even when you go to uh, larger supermarkets and chains, it doesn't distract that there's still some really great folks like Tommy um, that are serving the folks daily. And and he's somebody that could choose to work at a a Kroger or supermarket closer to his home. So he drives an hour in and an hour out every day because that's his store. Hmm. It's the community he's developed, and people expect for him to be there. And let me tell you what, when it's a busy uh, holiday or something like that, I know it's coming up, um, I call Tommy and I say, hey, man, hold me back. A uh, whole brisket, give me 10, 10 pork butts or some yep. pork blade steaks, and he's going to hold it back in the fridge. So yep. it, it pays off to uh, to have those connections. Oh, in spades, I'll tell you. Um, and being very forthright, Ralph's Grocery Stores is a supporter of this show, makes it possible for me to do what I love, and I'm grateful under the Kroger umbrella. But my butcher at my local store, when I call as well, I say, I need... Um, Uh, this, that, or otherwise, like he holds tomahawks for me because they go fast and there's nothing better than that relationship. Right. And so no matter where it is, your book butcher on the block proves that those connections are sacred. Right. Um, I thought it was fascinating and I'm jumping around because I want to get to as many stories as I can from the book. Uh, Take us to Boston, Mass, please. Introduce us to Jared. Make us a scallop roll. I can't wait to make that. And really, tell us, he had no connection to a fishing boat ever. His parents are doctors. (laughs) It it also took me about two hours of hanging out with him to get his first Wicked. um, (laughs) I was quite surprised. He has a great accent, but I think he was holding back on that word. Oh, for sure. Jared... Jared Auerbach at Brett's Best, I think, is um, he's a modern-day entrepreneur. Yes. Um, you know, he didn't have any ties to the, the legacy world of, of fishing. Um, he's on the Boston Pier, which is just such a historic place. Beautiful. But he's kind of changing the landscape. 
Um, you know, when we think about commercial fishing, a lot of times it was sending large vessels out for weeks at a time, and that fish that was caught on day one may not make its way back to port until day seven or eight, and then it's got to be processed and delivered. And, you know, Jared just felt like there was a better way, and he wanted to employ the small folks, mm. um, smaller vessels, smaller boats, and be able to make a better market for them. And, you know, what he did is he's buying smaller quantities from smaller boats, but they're coming back same day, if not next day. And then he's going back out and tagging it with a QR code that for the consumer, they can tag it and say this was caught on this boat on this time by this captain. But even more so, he's he's a market maker. So he's got a partnership with uh, Harvard University, the, the dining hall. And, you know, these universities back in the old culinary days, they would say, hey, in, in October, we're going to have a a fried cod and, uh, you know, maybe some calamari. And he'd say, that's not even in season. You know, let me bring you a skate wing and we cook what's fresh. It's going to be more affordable. It's more sustainable. And we're allowing ourselves to make the most of, you know, this incredible bounty that we have, you know, just on those coastlines. Yeah. Incredibly hardworking individual, um, you know, supports a small person, but he's building an empire uh, based on better quality and, and leveraging technology. Fabulous. Talk about the due diligence and research you did to find the best of the best around the world. Kudos to you. Uh, You uh, sought out a female butcher in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who, I mean, talk about passion. This woman, Karen Bell, is something, is she not? Karen, you know, she's reached, I think, the echelon of of what we consider kind of the culinary world with James Beard nomination. Yes. Um, she's lived all over the world. I, I kind of made a joke in the book that sure. she might have had a stint with the CIA, not the Culinary Institute of America. Right. Um, <laughs> but she returned back to Milwaukee um, after you know, spending time in Spain and Venezuela and ultimately wanted to practice the art of whole animal butchery. Um, so didn't have cool. experience in that. So she worked with a gentleman that did come from the old A&P grocery stores and they you know, did sausages in house and broke down a whole hog and Ultimately, she always said that she wanted to be a butcher shop with a small restaurant, and I'd say now she's a restaurant with a small butcher shop. And she found that she had to use her chef background to introduce folks to uh, some of the cuts that, you know, a chef really needed to use. And I'll give you a good example. You know, you walk the dining floor at at Bavette La Boucherie in in Milwaukee, and you've got, you know, 17-, 18-year-old kids on TikTok eating a beef tongue Reuben. It's made <laughs> corned beef made out of the tongue. And, you know, there's a little bit of shock factor in it, but once you try it, you say, oh, my goodness, this makes perfect sense. It's, it's one of the best kind of pastrami-like sandwiches you've ever had. Right. And so I think she's got a lot of utility there. She's also um, a prime example. I had never known, you know, her backstory. Um, and she was chosen to sit uh, for a faceless mural. It's really just her hands on the old PHDI building, which – uh, just sits. Uh, you can't miss it when you drive through downtown Milwaukee. And it used to be an old hosiery, hmm. um, and a famous German artist uh, came in, and, and they wanted to celebrate all the contributions that women had made, um, not only to Milwaukee, just the idea of kind of breaking the barriers of, of work. And Karen was chosen for that. She was quite humble, um, and I didn't even know that. And then once I found out, I made her walk. Uh, I tried to be a gentleman and give her my jacket in the cold, <laughs> but we had to walk over there and see it. And um, she's got a, a child of her own. And, I think it's just incredible that she's breaking what are traditional boundaries yes. uh, in that world and, and yes. also bringing her expertise and, and molding it in an incredible way. Yes. And everyone you highlight, 
I felt was breaking boundaries, was elevating, was stepping it up. And your prose, because you are a brilliant, beautiful writer, are better than ever in this book. So you are only getting better. The fifth bestseller. And there's never enough time, Matt. I almost feel compelled to like beg you to come back in another some weeks and teach us to dry age at home and make... Um, uh, so many of, I wish, I mean, I could come to your house, but I don't know if your wife would like that. Uh, make us roasted bone marrow on country bread. I mean, the wealth of knowledge and the passion and the heart in this book is overwhelmingly brilliant. It really is. And I get a lot of cookbooks that grace my desk. You know that. I am so proud to call you my friend. I am so proud to say this is the best book of 2023. Um, and it is just such tremendous passion. So please come back and tell us about Omar Lopez and his carniceria and tell us about Vincent DeSalvo and um, Dish Some More um, because this is brilliant work. Brilliant. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, thank you. It's my pleasure, truly. Sometimes the best way to get the best recipes is to talk to the butcher. Matt Moore proves it. You must, must, must buy this book. It's called Butcher on the Block. It's at your local bookstore, of course. It's on Amazon. It is the editor's pick. It is the best cookbook under food and wine category. And for good reason. From Matt Moore, whom you can follow on social at Matt R, the letter R, Moore, M-O-O-R-E. And hopefully, if I'm lucky enough, he will come back on and teach us more. Matt, my pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come see us in Nashville. Thank you. Oh, I can't wait. I need my Nashville fix. Uh, and, and my best to you. Uh, there is lots more delicious conversation in your radio. I am so grateful for 20 years of sharing my passion through radio waves, and I've always said it. We have the best culinary thinkers on this show. You wouldn't touch your dial. Now, would you, Chef Jamie Gwen? Be right back. Okay, prepare yourself because we're about to get fresh. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Think tasty, tangy, tart, sweet, and delicious. And you think Melissa's produce, of course. Providing quality fruits and vegetables to chefs and restaurants and markets for over 40 years now. I am very proud and grateful to have Melissa's as a supporter of this radio show since my inception. And their products just keep getting sweeter and more innovative, by the way. Now, finding good local produce is a snap in the summer, right? Especially it's a snap when it comes to Melissa's. It's often considered the best time of the year for the widest variety of produce, abundant in color and full of fabulous flavor. So if you're looking for recipes, hints, and tips to enjoy summer's bounty, 
well, then this conversation is for you. And if you've yet to taste a lychee or you're daunted by melons, well, then you need to meet Robert Schuler. You see, Robert is our resident produce guru on this show and in charge of all things delicious for Melissa's. And so he is here to enlighten us and help us pick the perfect peach, of course. And I'm very glad to have you back, Robert. Welcome. Thank you, Jamie. Glad to be back this summer season. Yes, and glad to be celebrating Hatch Chilies. Um, so speak up, Robert, because we want to hear all about the season. The New Mexican Hatch Chili Peppers are now in season Woo-hoo. all of August and part of September. You've got to act fast. Right. This is when people buy them by the case, not by the pieces like you regu- regularly do for chili peppers. People buy them by the case because they're only available for six to eight weeks during this time. And if you time it just right, um, if you go to melissas.com, you'll see on, the, on our front page of our website the listings of all the stores throughout the United States that will be doing these roastings so you can get them roasted right after you buy a whole case. So all you have to do when you get home is put them into the freezer bags to have your hatched chilies roasted and ready to go for the rest of the year. But the key is to know how many cases can you fit (laughs) and put into your freezer to be able to enjoy them all year long. That's true. And we do celebrate with great joy hatched chili season. We know that they are much beloved for the thick flesh and the really beautifully round, fabulous chili flavor. They come in multiple heat levels now because innovation is amazing, right? Um, We've always shared, too, that as the year progresses and the natural water content evaporates from those hatch chilies in your freezer, they do get hotter, right? They do get a little bit hotter, but the, the, the neatest thing about these hatch peppers is that whether they're mild, whether they're medium, hot, or extra hot, that's the neat thing about the chili is that they're, the, the, the key about mm-hmm. these chilies is all about the flavor. The heat is just secondary. Right. And the way in application that you can use them is awesome as well. But we have these hatch essential ingredients mm. that fit along this hatch chili season where you'll find Melissa's hatch polenta. You'll find uh, a variety of powders, whether it's red or green. You'll find um, other ingredients. We have like salsas. And hatch chili popcorn popcorn I can't get enough of. I know. It's a hatch chili craze. And it's it's much deserved, I will say. Um, They're delicious. I already have my hands on some hatch, thanks to you. And so we're kicking off the season. I'm also sweet this season. I have to say those jelly drop grapes... They're amazing, Robert. Yes, this is the peak of the season for California grapes, table grapes, that is. And you can now go to your local produce department or store and find some of the best-tasting ones. The jelly drops, they're different from any other uh, variety. If you are a fan of the the famous uh, jelly-making Concord grapes, the jelly drops are... Um, the skin is thin yeah. and completely edible, and the jelly drops have no seeds. So if you love Concord, less the skin in the seeds, you're going to love these jelly drops. Thank you for highlighting the best of the season. Uh, cheers to 
hatch chilies throughout the end of the summer now. And please come back in the fall and uh, give us the best of the best what to look for. And um, I will cook it all up, of course. Finding beautiful, unique, exceptional quality produce is a snap when it comes to Melissa's. You can order your produce direct to your door by going to melissas.com. It's also a wonderful way to send a fresh gift of produce. You'll find the weekly Melissa's produce pick here, so you're always sure what's in season. And you'll find incredible, resourceful fruit and veggie information, once again, at melissas.com. Follow on social at Melissa's Produce. Robert, thank you, thank you. And uh, here's to our next bite of juicy watermelon. Thank you. (laughs) And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. At least I hope you thought so. I hope to continue to please your palate and feed your soul. You just have to tune in every weekend as there is lots more fabulous food to come in your radio. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com where you'll find a link to my new digital cookbook, top 10 on Amazon right now and grateful. It's called Sizzle and Smoke, and I hope you'll download your copy. But don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation and inspiration for the hour. For so many of us, the taste of summer is an icebox cake, right? Whipped cream layered with cookies. You don't have to bake it. You could use any kind of pan and the refrigerator is your best friend here. And it is most iconic in its version made with Nabisco famous chocolate wafers, right? But it was earlier this year that we all cried and mourned that after nearly 100 years of production, Nabisco stopped making chocolate wafers. They delisted the cookie. What were they thinking? I know. So I took it upon myself to find other ways to make an icebox cake truly delicious. And I think I've succeeded. I'm sharing the recipe for my cookies and cream summer icebox cake. Think Oreo. Oh, it only gets better when it has filling and a chocolate wafer, right? And the secret to my whipped cream is in the sour cream edition. You get sweet, tart, tangy. Oh, it's so good. My cookies and cream icebox cake. I'm posting now on Facebook, Instagram, and X or whatever that is under Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope you become a friend and a fan. I thank you for listening. I'll see you next weekend at the table. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Bye.